You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome. So glad that you are joining us here this morning at Reality Honolulu for our time of worship and the word and communion and prayer together. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, want to just say extra welcome and glad you're here. And if you are a regular and been here since the beginning of the church, uh, glad that you're here as well. But I want to encourage you for whoever's watching right now, whether you're here uh, for the first time and trying to get plugged into the church or you've been here for a long time, especially in this season, right? This four months and who knows how much longer and all that will happen, especially in this season that can be very isolating. I want to encourage you to get plugged in as much as you can so that you do not feel like you are falling through the, the cracks or left out or falling behind or that no one knows you. We want you to be known and seen here and a part of the family at Reality Honolulu. If you call this church home, uh, we want it to feel like that for you, especially in this uh, complicated and hard time. And uh, you can do that in a lot of ways, right? Right, right now you're watching. I want to encourage you to kind of use the comments uh, to kind of comment to each other. And hopefully you are in a home with someone else uh, if you feel comfortable that you're doing house church right now alongside others. But we also have prayer meetings on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. And the reason why we have it a little bit later is that we want to make it available for parents. We have tons of parents with small kids. Uh, if you can put them down and you can kind of join us or at least one spouse can join us. We have a little kind of fellowship time virtually. We pray and then we have a little fellowship time at the end. It's just a way to connect and seek the Lord together. And then also we have Ohana groups, small groups that are going around, that, that are going on uh, throughout the week uh, as a place to connect and care for one another and grow in Christ together, uh, as well as we have local serving opportunities that we uh, are engaging in. And all of this information of how to get plugged in, how to serve our community alongside us as well, uh, is on our website, realityhonolulu.com. That's kind of your one-stop shop for everything going on. And again, if you have any questions, feel free to email us or contact us because we want you to feel like this is your church, a part of what God is doing and that you feel a part of it. And so uh, we encourage you to kind of plug in as much as you are able to, even if I know that uh, Zoom meetings are hard and nothing's quite ideal right now. Um, just don't want you guys to feel isolated and uh, disconnected. So come on and join us in all that's going on. Uh, but we are going to get into the Word of God like we always do, and we're going to pick up last week right where we left off, and that is Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. Acts 8, 9 through 25, and just as a quick recap uh, before we read the text, what's happening here is the setting in which we're reading is a city in Samaria, just outside of Jerusalem, where the Holy Spirit is moving through a man named Philip, one of the followers of Jesus, and many are being saved. And they're being freed from the bondage of sin and the effects of sin. Uh, from, they're being freed from disease and demons are being cast out and uh, they're being saved. They're being born again. They're coming to know Jesus. And last week, we kind of did a part one to this section of scripture where we examined this man, Simon. 
This man, Simon, used to uh, kind of, you know, be a magician and practice dark arts, and he was wrapped up with all kinds of demonic things. He gets saved, and we see in this text, post being saved, that Simon was still struggling with some motives of his heart when he approached God. And last week, we examined these motives of Simon's heart. What we saw was that Simon was saved, but we, we see that he was more wrapped up with what God could do for him or give him rather than God himself. And the apostles Peter and John, they use this interaction as an opportunity to correct him and point him back to God. And so what I want to do is I want to read this text once again uh, so that we know where we're at because today we're going to be kind of doing a part two into this text, looking at the role of the Holy Spirit as well as the means by which receiver, uh, believers receive the Holy Spirit um, as Christians, uh, which is different and significant here in Acts chapter 8 than other places. And so we're going to spend some time digging in and understanding and looking into that. Uh, but why don't you read with me Acts 8, 9 through 25. As always, I'm reading the NIV translation, and it says this. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted and he, that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he, uh, he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when, they believed Philip, uh, uh, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he fo uh, followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and he said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that's living and active. Thank you that this is where you have us today in it. 
We're so grateful that you give us help through the Holy Spirit. God, we want the Holy Spirit to be more active and present in our own lives. We desire to live for you. We desire to see God move through us. Holy Spirit, would you teach us, equip us, and speak to us now through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, depending on your upbringing, right, if you grew up in the church or not, or how long you've been a Christian, uh, the denomination that you grew up in, or the, or the, the, the type of Christianity or the type of church that you grew up in uh, will determine the emphasis or the role or activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. That goes with a lot of things in Scripture, right? Every church or denomination or facet of Christianity is uh, different in some ways, very different. Right, that's what kind of denominations, uh, that's the reason why they've come about is because there's different interpretations and emphasis and kind of different liturgy and the way it plays out in our lives. And depending on your experience um, and depending even how much you've read the Bible or have been taught the Bible, it will give you a certain degree or understanding when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And again, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, every denomination, I mean pretty much everyone, has a slightly or largely different understanding of how you define the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role, and either and, and even whether or not the gifts of the Holy Spirit are even active or not today. Right? Some churches either talk about a lot about him or not much at all. Um, If you remember back in January, what we did as a church, when we began to study the book of Acts, knowing that the Holy Spirit, God in believers, pretty much the main character in the book of Acts, uh, for those of us that were with us in that time pre-COVID, you'll remember that we took a couple of weeks to do a deeper study into the Holy Spirit, right, who he was. And we saw that the Holy Spirit, right, was the, the third person, is the third person of the Trinity. The Trinity consisting of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All part of who God is, three in one. The Trinity being three distinct persons, but one essence of God. We looked at who the Holy Spirit was. We also looked at the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life and in the world. And we, we believe from Scripture it would show us that the Holy Spirit empowers the Christian to glorify the Father. And what that consists of, just briefly bullet pointy, is that the Holy Spirit, one thing that the Holy Spirit does, it convicts us of sin and error. Along with that, the Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of God. And also, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live Spirit-filled lives, producing the gifts of the Spirit and exercising, uh, excuse me, producing the fruit of the Spirit and exercising the gifts of the Spirit. Again, there is a lot more, of, of course. But these were the brief bullet points of the Holy Spirit that we looked at back in January. And why I'm talking so much about the Holy Spirit right now 
is because of the unique way in which the followers of Jesus receive the Holy Spirit in our text today specifically. In Acts chapter 8 today, we see that it is very different the way in which believers receive the Holy Spirit than from the rest of the New Testament describes and tells us that it is supposed to happen. And you may have caught it. Right? You may have you've caught it either last week or this week reading Acts chapter 8, specifically in verses 14 through 16. Right? It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, right? they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so right, this town in Samaria had believed and received in the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection from the dead preached by Philip, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. And this was a big deal, right? These are the first people outside of Jerusalem for this to happen. And after intense persecution, the church is scattered. This is the first time the gospel had reached the Samaritans. And if you know anything about kind of their relationship, the Samaritans and Jews previously had not really got along and they didn't act, interact with each other at all. And this is such a big deal that they actually get saved by Jews, right? That word spreads back to Jerusalem and a couple of the head honchos, the key apostles of the entire church that, that we know well from the book of Acts, Peter and John, they hear of it and they travel to Samaria themselves to witness it. And they get there and it says that they, the first thing they do is they pray for these new believers and during that time of prayer, they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, pause. Why this is significant is that this text in Acts chapter 8 has actually formed the way that some have understood how Christians ought to and do receive the Holy Spirit. In turn, it's developed the understanding and methods by which different denominations uh, have in their understanding of the Holy Spirit. But also what this text has done is be it's become a source of debate as to whether or not Acts chapter 8 and what happens to those in Samaria, was this, this is the debate, was this a prescriptive occurrence? Meaning, is this how the Holy Spirit uh, comes and how we should expect him to come now? Is this prescriptive? Does this prescribe what's supposed to happen? Or is this text descriptive? Meaning, that it is just describing here to them what happened, but doesn't mean it always happens that way. It's important that we think about that because it will inform how we operate as Christians and as a church. And the reason why I say this is that what happens here in Acts 8 is unique to Acts 8, right? The way and timing of, of which the Holy Spirit usually fills the believer uh, in the rest of, the, of Acts and the New Testament is a whole lot different than this, right? The norm we see everywhere else is that at the moment you're born again, saved or believed or whatever, whatever word you want to say, 
The moment that you are born again or saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not done later by the laying on of hands. So you could say, whoa, do we have a problem here? What does all this mean? And I believe the crucial question that we need to ask to attempt to gain correct biblical interpretation of what is happening in Acts 8 is this. So does Luke, the author of the book of Acts, does Luke intend his readers to understand the Samaritans' divided experience, right? First faith, baptism, later the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, are we supposed to read this as typical or atypical, normal or abnormal? And another question would be, is it set before us as a usual pattern for Christian experience today or as an exception that we should not expect to be repeated? And over the last 2,000 years and still to this day, different denominations, Christianity and Catholicism, either believe in a one-stage filling of the Holy Spirit or a two-stage filling. Let me explain. So a, uh, a one-stage. This would align with the larger narrative and examples of uh, at the moment of salvation, you are filled with God in the person of the Holy Spirit. That one time. You give your life to Jesus, you're filled immediately with the Holy Spirit. One stage, one time. But in Acts chapter 8, it would look like it's two-stage, right? And so a two-stage infilling of the Holy Spirit would be that there's a belief, uh, that there is belief and salvation and even baptism in water, but the way in which the Holy Spirit fills you is at a different time, usually through the laying on of hands of church apostles, elders, and leaders in the church. And there is much speculation and debate why the difference of Acts 8 even exists. Why does this exist? Why does it happen so differently here? What is the purpose and what happened? And some of the ideas are, well, were these believers not really saved? And so when Peter and John came and prayed for them, that's when they really got saved and that's when they got the Holy Spirit. Um, or was there some sort of like deficiency in Philip's preaching and his delivery? Did he not quite get it right? And kind of Peter and John were being, you know, the evangelism inspectors and they were coming and, ah, you didn't actually preach it correctly and not everybody is actually, so let's do it better for you now. Uh, what other theories are, was it because the unique intense relationship between the Jews and Samaritans and was this secondary like apostle decreed sign off needed to prove to the Jews that Samaritans could be, really be saved. I mean, there's books, there's chapters of books, there's commentaries about all these things, and there's a lot of ideas. Um, but to be honest, none of them seem great. Uh, and no one really knows why Acts 8 differs. But as a general rule, Right? When we come across a text in Scripture, when it seems to differ from others' verses or text in Scripture, it's important to read the text not only in context, but also as a part of the greater biblical narrative. Right? It's always dangerous when we isolate any single passage of Scripture and use it in a prescriptive way. 
right? Because it is easy to bend a verse to mean what we want it to mean when we read it out of context and imply our own meaning. This is what would, we would call something like proofreading. I'm excuse me, proof texting. Uh, proof texting is the practice of using an isolated, out-of-text quotation or verse from a document or the Bible to establish a proposition or an analysis, right? So the danger in proof texting the Bible is to jump in to the Bible, read one verse detached from any context, and then make a case or come up with an entire, you know, theory from that one scripture. You're going to miss the meaning because you didn't read the context of the verses surrounding it, the chapters surrounding it, and in the biblical narrative of scripture itself. So then, when we see something like Acts 8 verses 14 through 16 happen, instead of just jumping to Yep, that's how it's supposed to happen now. What we do need to ask ourselves is, what is the general teaching of Scripture about receiving the Spirit? And what we see here, even in the book of Acts and in Paul's letters, uh, but specifically, excuse me, uh, in Peter's first sermon, Acts chapter 2, we just studied it a few months ago. In Peter's first sermon, Forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit are twin initial blessings when God bestows on everyone, uh, which God bestows on everyone whom he calls and who repents, believes, and is baptized. We see this in Acts 2, verses 38 through 39. Just a few chapters earlier, we see that Peter preaches that there's a one-stage salvation. You believe, you get the Spirit. Same time, same place. Further, Paul agrees with Peter in his letters, right? In, in, in his letter to the Romans. In Romans 8, verse 9, um, Paul says, God gives his Spirit to all his children so that if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Romans 8, verse 9. There's many more, but the general, this is the general idea and understanding of the larger biblical narrative. So, in Acts, we do believe that what happens in Acts chapter 8, our, my, my interpretation, our interpretation here, is that this was unusual and unique for an unknown reason. And it does deviate both from the normal teaching and from the normal practice of the apostles and the rest of Acts and the New Testament. And uh, we resonate and agree with, you know, John Stott's explanation of the text when he says this. John Stott, kind of commenting on this, says it this way. Because what happened in Samaria diverged from the plain and general teaching of the apostles... Initiation into Christ, according to the New Testament, is a single-stage experience in which we repent, believe, are baptized, and receive both the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, after which, by the indwelling power of the Spirit, we grow into Christian maturity. And so because of all of this, we believe that what happens in Acts 8 should be looked at descriptively, not prescriptively. It shouldn't, it happened to them once, but we shouldn't 
expect that to happen for every other Christian going forward. Here's what's so great about that. This understanding is that God does all the work. And he fills us at the moment that we're saved with himself. We're immediately empowered to live for God, not on our strength, but his. And the refining or the transformation process begins right away at the moment of conversion. And even if you're hearing this, or if you know people that disagree with this single stage view, and you believe a secondary stage is necessary, like in Acts chapter 8, What I think is important for us all to see is that we do agree uh, on the necessity and the crucial role of the Spirit in our lives. I think we can agree on that. Whether or not we agree on if it's right at the moment or you need later, or if you need to receive it later. What we can agree on is that we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's critical and it's crucial. And that's because in the New Testament, in New Testament times, the possession of the Holy Spirit in the believer was the hallmark of the Christian. Like it was the defining thing that the Holy Spirit was in the Christian. And my hope is that we too would continue to grow Right, and have a biblical, robust, and comprehensive understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we would, uh, that our lives would be lived in the Spirit, and the Spirit would be a critical part of our Christian walks. That we would not neglect His role, but rather uh, welcome it and see the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit active in our lives. We as a church want to talk about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We have a huge emphasis on the Holy Spirit in our life to live, to be transformed, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. And as the book of Acts goes on, we will see that even though these believers were filled initially, that each time they were leaving to engage in the mission or the ministry of God, that they would actually pray to be continually filled and empowered by the Spirit. And, and what we see is that the Holy Spirit would actually come upon them like in an extra measure or an extra portion or in special ways for them to be used by God. And this is perhaps where we get the vernacular, God, fill me afresh. Or, God, give me a fresh filling of your Spirit. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. Even though they initially were filled with the Spirit, they continually prayed that God would continually empower them and fill them up for the mission of God and the ministry of God. To be his witnesses in the world. And the thing is is that God has designed it this way. Right? That after Jesus ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit was given to his followers, to Christians, to the church at the day of Pentecost. So that we would be now temples of the Holy Spirit. That God's presence would dwell in us. God's will for Christians 
for followers of Jesus is that we would be empowered by God to show the world the grace, love, and hope that we ourselves have received through Jesus Christ's work upon the cross. And in order to live and exist and do life in a way that obeys and honors and gives gives glory to God has to be a life that is reliant and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Not reliant on our own skills or our own strength or experience or ability, but rather a reliance on God. I hope that you have learned this over the last four months. I know that I have. So much has happened. So much has been difficult that I have really been reminded that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And that in my weakness, God's strength is perfected. Like, I I hope, like, like I have, I hope that you are reminded of the necessity of the Holy Spirit to be active in our own lives. And church, my exhortation, my encouragement, and my prayer for us as a church, Ohana, as a family, is that we would learn to live a life that is reliant upon the, the, and full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, reliant upon the Holy Spirit to live and exist and do life for the glory of God. And how that starts is it starts with admitting our inadequacy and our need for the Holy Spirit. And that takes humility and surrender. That takes a laying down of our own control. For so many of us, how we've gotten through hard times, how we've gotten through these last four months, our coping mechanisms is to, one of them could be to to control the situation, to power through, to pull our bootstraps up, to just keep on going. But living and existing and doing life with God isn't doing those things. Rather than trying harder, It's trusting God more. Rather than trying harder, it's trusting and surrendering and relying upon God more. It's admitting that apart from you, God, I can't do this. Before we open our our phones when we wake up, before we jump on emails, before we get the kids ready, before we jump to work or jump on that Zoom call or start our days, we need to go, God, I can't do any of this apart from you. It's not mine to control. It's not mine to do. This is, my life is no longer my own. It's hidden with Christ. And I can't do this. I can't do this on my own strength. Holy Spirit, I need you. A life full of the Holy Spirit first first begins by admitting our inadequacy and our desperate need for the Holy Spirit. Then it takes asking this continually, which takes time and awareness It's approaching our days in this way, day after day in different seasons, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Especially in this unprecedented season of new rhythms and changes and adjustments, 
Church, let's not neglect giving care and attention to our spiritual life. I understand that a lot of us have a lot going on. Some of us are more busy and it's more complicated this season and life is much harder than normal. And just to get by, I know a lot of us might be, feel like we're still in survival mode. But guys, I don't want us to neglect and give care to our spiritual life. And I understand that it's hard and there's so many things going on and you're busy, but do not neglect your spiritual walk and your spiritual life. Do not neglect continually asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So the question I think that we should really ask ourselves today and going forward is, do we need to change in relation to our reliance upon God? Are we relying upon God? Do we truly believe that apart from him, we can't do anything? Or are we just operating on our own strength, on our own ability? And guys, I know you, a lot of you are gifted, you're talented. God has blessed you. Do not rely upon those things to get you through this. Put your full trust and your full reliance in the Holy Spirit. God wants to meet you in your weakness. God wants to meet, meet you in that surrender and in that humility. Reality Honolulu, looking forward into kind of this unknown timing and season and what will happen. As a church, looking forward, let's endeavor to be a church that is filled with the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit and exercising the gifts of the Spirit so that in order that our lives would give glory to God and that through that many would come to know him and that we as a church would be a part of seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it, it, as it is in heaven. That God's kingdom come, that God's kingdom would come here in Hawaii as it is in heaven. Guys, it's not us as we look around at the world, as we look around at how difficult, how tense, how divided, how broken, and how hurting our world is, our community is, our neighbor is, um, you name it. When we see this brokenness, we're not the ones that are going to fix it. It's God who is, but he chooses to use us. He invites us in to co-labor with him. But he doesn't just invite us in on our own strength. He says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And my Holy Spirit is going to be the means by which you live. The means by which the word of God is proclaimed. The means by which you serve others and love others is not going to be out of your strength and your ability and your resources. It's going to come from the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. That's why even Paul, the apostle, would say, it's not, what you see in me isn't a demonstration of my own words, but rather a demonstration of the Holy Spirit in me. Church, as we enter into this time of worship, I want to encourage us to take our lives before the Lord and to surrender our own control to surrender our own ability and say, God, I don't want to live my own life. 
I want you to live in me and through me for your glory. God, I give up. I give up. Use me. Fill me. I don't want my life to show. I want God's life to show through me to the world. And as we enter into this time of worship, as, as we pray and as we ponder these things, <coughs> I also want to encourage you not just to watch this, not just to see the lyrics in the band, and not just to view it as a movie or a TV show, but I'm asking that you would fully engage in this time of worship as if we were in person at Oliolani together. I understand that this still can be very foreign and different and where you're watching it right now might not be ideal. But I want to encourage you to press in and worship your God where you're at in the fullness of, for who he is and what he's done. I also want to encourage you as always, if you have communion elements in your home, to take something like bread and something like juice and to take those. <clears throat> to, to take bread and to take the juice or whatever it is you have and as you eat it and drink it that it would remind you of the cross Jesus said as often as you do it as often as you take communion do it in remembrance of me what I've done for you and as we worship and take communion and pray for these, first, for these few songs right now Ask that you would fully engage and also stick around for a few final words at the end. Church, I love you and I'm praying these things for you this week. I love you and I will see you next Sunday. Aloha. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for showing us and teaching us from it. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in us and you desire to use us for your glory. And God, I pray that you would meet us now in this time of worship. You would fill our homes with your presence. As we go through this week, that you would fill us, Holy Spirit, afresh with more of you, that we might live for you with your power. And God, we ask that you would just be glorified and exalted in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in our community in Hawaii. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.